0: Welcome to a very special episode of the Pod Pod today. Uh, Holmesy here, a bit of a dejected Holmesy, but I've decided that uh, the only way to sort of get my season back on track and to, to help the listeners keep flying is to get help from the man that has shaped fantasy uh, as the way it is today, the GOAT you know him as, Selby from Marrera's Magic. So, Selby, mate, thank you for giving your time up tonight to help me get my season back on track. But how you going, mate? Mate,
1: I'm a bit dejected myself, but thanks for having us on. I also copped a lot of hits, which you copped on the weekend, so it'd be good to see how we're going to attack that. But no, nah, pleasure. I've enjoyed these little one-on-ones you've done all pre-season with some some big names there, so hoping I can um, live up to those. the rest of them.
0: Yeah, so before, before we get started, I'm sure all of our listeners know who you are, but just give a little bit of a background about you know, your fantasy successes, what you've done and and what you're sort of doing this season in terms of your super coach and your Marrera's Magic platform?
1: Yep, so one fantasy outright 2017 and by a significant margin, I think it was 550 points or so, uh, which it's funny, even at that time I was nervous come round 23 thinking, well, there's a chance here that Brandon Ellis could get a zero and someone could get a 150 and it's funny how it plays on your mind, this fantasy. Obviously landed on this structure which works, which was purely playing that value game, uh, moving away from the old school guns and rooks and targeting those who outperformed their price, which is pretty commonly known this day and age. But at that point in time, it wasn't the common way. So then backed it up the next season, essentially following the exact same structure strategy priced at players, what I think they can do, trades, and approved successful again. So came equal first with James or Shui Shockers, where that then stamped that blueprint of what I think takes to have success in this game and made me believe in it. So from there, I've obviously uh, built this Marera's Magic named after my team name. Uh, at the time, Matty DeBoer, good mate of mine, not a good mate of many fancy coaches given he, he tagged a lot of our players throughout the years. I was, you know, I used to work with him in Sydney and uh, he said to me, mate, you know you can probably sell some of this information. Like you would won it two times in two years, lots of people keen out there, so mate of Won two cars in two years. Like, I don't want to be that greedy prick who tries to get more. And he was on the board at Starlight. That's when that Starlight Association kicked off. It was his initiative to say, well, how about we use this as a fundraiser, 30 buck donation. And it goes from there, which has taken off. I think we've we've done that now for six years where the season preview, where the majority of the, the proceeds do continue to go to Starlight. And then what's grown the last couple of years is we do an in-season Package, again, I felt that there was that uh, that want and need for deep dive analysis and a bit more content, which is, fast forward today, there's so much of it out there, which is great. Like I'm like you. I love consuming the content. I enjoy presenting the content. I encourage those people who want to do it to continue to do it because you, you do get a lot out of it and some satisfaction. Uh, but, I, yeah, I'll stay on the outside and don't play fantasy now. I haven't played it for the last couple of years. I did come back in 2020. uh there's a few reasons why I don't play now. The main run, the way I sell it, which is is true, if I want to give the best advice possible, and I was also playing, I'm a competitive man, I'd want to win, that I'd be holding back some of my best advice. So by not playing and knowing that I've got people paying for advice, I can give non-conflicted advice. But realistically, it's a combination between that, knowing that there's every chance I could come 20,000th one year, knowing how hard the game is and how much luck's involved. And people think I've lost it. I've got a bit of a reputation to uphold. And finally, like it's because of that reputation, I do cop a, or I do feel a lot of pressure and stress to succeed. So in twenty twenty, given that there was a change in rules, more trades, small rounds, small games came back and gave it a whirl well there and ended up doing pretty well there. I think I finished thirty third, was sixteenth, heading into the last round, took some punts. So uh, I feel like what I've done in fantasy is there's not much else for me to achieve, so I'm quite happy seeing on the sidelines, watching it all play out. Uh, but I've this Marrera's Magic, we've, because I've got it all set up with stats and projectors and tools, it's, it's quite easy to replicate to Supercoach, which I never had given much serious time before playing-wise. Uh, so we've been giving content for that last year. So i put in a team, same thing, no pressure. If it does no good, I can either blame my man who was giving advice on Supercoach or just say it's a different game and, and managed to come or oh, technically eighth, I think it was, in the end um, on that. So here we are again. I'm back in season two and the pressure's back again to succeed, which we all know and love.
0: Yeah, and I've been doing these interviews in the preseason and I sat down with well, – message you on Twitter and I was really keen to get you on and we sort of had the discussion that it probably, probably wasn't fair that you're, you know, having people pay to to, to hear your advice and all your, your good takes and, you know, it wouldn't be great to, to have you giving that out for free in the preseason. So we've decided to do it round one. Um, you've got your in-season package now and Back when I came second in 2021, a long time ago now, but uh, your I, it would not have been possible without your guide, um, your your podcast that you do with Zave every week, um, the stats that allows the price projector, the email that comes out every Thursday with all the trade targets and what you've done in the past and and how you've played it is a, a seriously valuable tool. So I would highly recommend anyone that's listening to this podcast today. Yeah, we're going to deep dive, but if you want to if you want to hear from Selby each and every week, which I'm sure a lot of you do. Um, jump across there um, sign up it's only i think 295 a week but you can also pay all up front and uh, yeah like i said it's some goes to charity which is awesome as well but um, i would highly recommend it so i really appreciate you jumping on Selby and and helping all helping all, all of us fantasy coaches some of us flying some of us not but um, it's nice to know that we've got someone like you giving us advice so that we can help fix up our teams moving forward into round two so let's let's get stuck into a little bit so We'll do a little bit of a retrospective here in terms of starting squad. So with how everything's played out in round one, looking back, how do you think we should have started in terms of our structures and what what should we be looking to do coming into rounds two and three with these fix up trades?
1: Yeah, it was an interesting round one where we had Uber's top end uh, on each position, which I think if you asked 99% of the good coaches out there would have been unanimous that Laird was going to be the number one scoring mid and Dunkley the number one scoring forward. And they both underperformed. Marshall, I think people potentially would have thought he would have been number one. I think if by the end I had him ranked R1 too. So we had a week of underperforming Ubers, which if you follow the old, the new school philosophies, which a lot do, which is hunting that value, then the Laird one... I think hopefully you, you did avoid that. But there again, there is merit to, you understand why people did start with lead, particularly on the back of his second half last year in his preseason. But retrospective, I think it's going back to the world of hunting value in all positions, even though we want a captain option, I like to, to find value in all. So when it comes to, when we talk structure, I was big on those five big premium forwards. I think initially it seemed like a, a bit of a stretch to even fit four of them in there. Then when Golden put his hand up in the pre-season, I was like, well, I want all of them in there. My structure, the, I wasn't confident in those mid-price forwards being a Horn, Francis, a Tanner Bruin, a Flanders, a Zeeble who's since now put his hand up, a Ben Long, a Melira. I didn't love them. She's will show to you he... he he provided enough in the pre-season that I was pretty confident going in with five premium forwards, one uh, rookie. I think in hindsight now knowing how what, the potential of a Zebel and a Horn Francis, potentially you could have run a, a mid-price there, but I think retrospective I'd continue with that way. Rucks, well, that R2 position was, was such a tricky one. That was a talking point of the summer, I think hindsight, I'm still a Marshall. And even now questions are coming in, do you trade Marshall? And for me, it's certainly not. I, th- I think he's going to continue to be a top two ruck from now to the end of the year. Uh, whereas that, it was that R2 position, which had so many question marks. And now it's funny retrospective. You look at them. Gorn performed with Grundy. Darcy performed. He his CBAs 10% from the year before without Jackson and with Jackson English face it two Had a monster took them down. Wits had the easy matchup. Solo Ruck was the highest performing Ruckman. Uh, Darcy Cameron looked fine, didn't score, but looked pretty good. So at the end of the day, there was no real wrong answer except for the one I took in my super coach, which is Cherry, uh, who ironically had the highest points per minute amongst all Ruckmans. It so could have actually been the right answer. So Retrospective, I'm not sure what the answer would be. I'm personally getting trying to get my cherry up to a Timmy English down now that I know that he doesn't look like he's hampered by the interrupted preseason and he's got that tough matchup out of the way. Midfield, so I always still like to pay up for a decent midfielder to be a captain option and potentially be a high scorer. But I think it was Harmy. On Harms, than two years ago you spoke to him on this, or maybe a year ago he made the point that Took Miller, before he was the number one player, was the 37th best midfielder, and it's very rare you get the same person back up. So I try to identify who I think is going to be the highest scoring mid mid and start with him. And this year I thought it could have been a Kelly or a McRae. Uh, so I probably would have gone that way. Hindsight, well, these mid-prices all popped, whether it was a Setterfield, a Warple, that you could have probably taken a, a shave down from that and gone more that next sweet spot of that price at ninety five, your LDUs. I was big on Nara Anderson, still kind of am, but I potentially would have gone there. But you probably the question is always how many mid price are too many. But I think in hindsight you probably could have had all of Setterfield, Warple, Finn Callahan in the end, the two rookies which were safe in McKenzie and uh, thing. But I think yeah, time again, you probably wouldn't spend up for anyone priced over 110, just the way the game's going. And then the back line is the way we're all gun-shy on, I think if we spoke in November, it was Young and Dacos show, and then they didn't, there's concerns for different reasons to the preseason that a lot of coaches went dockety and then cheap, and I still think that was probably the way to go, but I say that now before teams come this week when there's every chance we could see no and no Constable, no Cowan, and we're in some strife but I still think the cheap back line was the way to go given the strength of the forward line this year
0: yeah and we know that um, it's a long fantasy season and how many times do we see players come out in round one and it's a complete outlier and their scores just don't translate for the rest of the year so that's why I'm kind of keen to deep dive with you a little bit more on some specific players to try and figure out what's real and figure out what might be a little bit of smoke and mirror. So let's start in the midfield because I know a lot of coaches, well, some coaches have a, a Kelly to deal with. So talk to me about Green first. So Green, amazing preseason game, comes out, has a 128. Um, the strong CBAs were there. He got out for marks. He had game high tackles, even though there weren't many tackles in that game. So is that a pretty easy switch for you, Kelly down to Green?
1: Yeah, feel for the owners for Kelly. He was ticked every box. Never had more than forty-eight percent CBAs since they've been public, and I think he had sixty percent game, sixty-eight percent game time for sixty-eight percent CBAs. So he was going to be that pure inside mid, and potentially be that one ten plus answer. And if that happened, all of a sudden we wouldn't be talking as much about these these mid price. If we found another top echelon who we think we keep all season, but yeah, Green, I think yes, I think he is the real deal. It, he is just an accumulator. He's been that since day dot on low time on ground, low centre bounces. It's That was a, quite an obvious f- uh, formula. B- put them two together to then see that pop. I can get the concern that he is too much inside. He might struggle to get his marks. But I just watched that pre-season game, the way he was kind of just calling for the ball just for little handballs and giving it back. I, I could tell he had a little bit more in him than just your classic... I'm just a hard-nosed inside mid. I think he wants to, to announce himself to be a star of the comp. So what he's going to do from now, I'm not sure if he's going to be a, a top 10 mid. Actually, I, I doubt he'll be a top 10 mid, um, but I think he's certainly going to be enough for this time of the season. And these are the sort of price players we you, you kind of want to be having in your side.
0: Yeah, and that that game against the Eagles this week with no Kelly, no Whitfield, and no Perryman, you'd think he's going to have every every CBA almost except for when he's off the ground. And I don't know, maybe there's a little bit of concern that 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 game against um, Adelaide in those conditions might have taken them out of taken it out of them a little bit. But I think that's a pretty easy switch, and I think he comes up against Carlton Essendon and and some other soft matchup. I think after that, so. Kelly De Green, I think, is a very obvious play. But the one that you went in your super coach side, who I'm still trying to figure out is real or not, is Setterfield So talk to me about Setterfield. 71% CBA, second behind Parrish. Um, it sounds like they want him to be that big-bodied inside mid. Um, I'm well aware he's not going to score 122 each week. They did have the soft Hawthorne matchup. But, you know, where do you see him going this week? And is it a case of if you don't jump this week, you've pretty much lost the boat? Uh, missed the boat, sorry. Potentially. So, what, Kavir, that I, coach
1: you get a lot of points for that per, first possession as a big body mid. Like, Hewitt last year obviously was a star come fancy land, but Supercoach, he was putting up 120s just because he had first touch from the ruck, handball to the distributor, which was a Cripps or Walsh for Hewitt's instance, and for, for Cedarfield, it's going to be a, a parish and merit, and you just get easy points. So... I was more biased to him in supercoach than I was in fantasy, but just in terms of that mid-price point price point and watching, there were the three obvious ones around that price, being a Sheed, a oh, supercoach, it's Hopper and a Setterfield, but just watching Sheed and Hopper in the pre-season, they just looked like players who have missed a lot of footy, whereas Setterfield hasn't missed footy, he hasn't missed a beat, he's still been playing, he just hasn't had the right role, and looking at the pre-season, this is where the, the pre-season numbers, we've seen it enough that it can lie, and if it lies, you kind of just have to say, okay, um, you're not going to get them all right, whether it was a, a Tom Phillips in yesteryear or Jordan Clark, but 74% centre bounce in the first practice match, then 50% the second practice match that they went out there, one of that big body mid, Here's that big body mid. And with Fancy, I know there's a few doubters in terms of CBAs and their impact, but there's no question that increased CBAs brings increased points, and he... I've made the tweet no-one increased their CBAs more from their uh, 2022 average to 2023 round one than him. So that role looks like it's going to be there. What can he do? He's had 45% CBAs in the past for his career best 84 three years ago. He's now 25, more mature, bigger, fitter, and 45 is going to be less than what he, you're going to see him get. So I think at the very worst case, you're going to get an 85 where – At that price point, it's not going to be a competition winner, but it's going to be, oh, that's fine. Uh, But if he can be a 95, which a lot of players who play that role he plays can do, then I think he's going to be a really good pick for you, and you can hold him right up until the buyer, generate cash, and score close enough because... These footballers, they're not robots. We just saw round one that there's every chance a top-end premium is going to put out a 56, 57. Like, they've got the same opportunity if they've got the game on the time on ground and the CBA to get the ball. So if you can find one who's a bit cheaper, who has that role, then you jump on.
0: Yeah, my my concerns with setterfield was that, you know, Merritt and Parrish, they're so top-heavy in that side. Everything really goes through them. And when you've got two players that you peg to be, you know, 100 to 110-plus players... And then you've also got a Dylan shield in there who traditionally had um, taken a lot of CBAs as well. There's only so many points to go around, but I think you are right that if, you know, you can push that 85 as a minimum, then he's still going to be a decent stepping stone. And if he can push that 90, 95, then he's going to be someone that you can hold through to the buyer. So interesting decision coaches have to make this week on him. Selby? It's funny
1: that same players in the same team, obviously that's been getting a lot of buzz at the moment with that market share and. The question in the pre season was how many of one team can you have? And there were two obvious teams who had that issue, and that was the Bulldogs with a Baz, a Bont, and a McRae, who all appeared to have great upside with Bont gone, no, oh, sorry, with Dunkley gone and their tall forwards and no need for them to play forward. And then for GWS, and one round of data, it's funny that the, the Bulldog boys didn't really show that they could all do it, but then again, how many times are they going to get beaten like they did on the weekend? I can imagine if they played a Hawthorne, you're going to see all four of them go one fifteen plus. And then if it weren't for Kelly's injury, you might have seen all the Giants boys go, go big as well. So I think there's a world where you, they can all score. Dockers was the third team when you – you're looking at what's Broshaw going to do. You'd think he'll do 110 again. What's Sarong going to do? Breaking out. Can he get up to 100? I think Jaeger, mind you, had a, a bad round one and not the best pre-season. But if he's fully fit, can he get close to that? And then there's Will Brody. So it's, it's hard to, to juggle between your classic uh, growth stages of age, time on ground, centre bounces, with then, OK, competition for possessions. Because I know, yeah, with projections and... Particularly in the NBA, speaking to some some good analysts there, the way they do their projections, they project what they think the total assists are going to be and then each player get what they think the team percentage of assists are going to be. And that's how they then work out what someone's going to get. And if one player's out, they know what percentage of assists might be shared elsewhere and they then distribute it there. I don't know. I I feel like in footy that (laughs) we see it plenty of times where the mids just get the footy and it's very rare that someone um, doesn't come to the party.
0: Yep. yeah, no, I, I would agree with that. Uh moving forward, I know this was someone you're a little bit um, hot and cold on in the preseason, but Warple ticked every ticked every box for you?
1: He did, except for the fact that Hawks were bad. So when I ranked those mid prices, I think I ranked them in the pre-season field because he'd played before Sheed because he's got the inside role. Uh, and you know his best 22. He's going to be playing come round 14. And then it was Warple who has the role, but you're not sure whether he's going to be, one, having that role in round one, given that Dylan Moore, who showed he had great talent inside in the preseason, didn't play at all in the middle. And then uh, Josh Ward, who I thought, well, he's going to be a 50% of this year at least. They've got rid of Jaeger and Mir and Mitchell to get time into Ward. He had 25% in the preseason, so he's going to bump his up. So what's Warple really going to see come round one? And round one, he led the, the Hawks for CBA. So if that's any indication of what he's going to do in that role, I think you have to say treat that as real. So he probably now leapfrogs Sheed on that, that metric because I think he's got the better scoring potential, he's cheaper... And now you know it looks like they're going to back him in with that role, whether that's the right thing for Hawks or not. I know Josh Ward played great and still only had 20-odd CBAs. Dylan Moore had zero. So not sure what Sam Mitchell's thinking. I know Xavier made the point, well, they don't want to win this year. Is it probably in their interest to get someone who is competitive? He's going to look after young kids in the middle. He's big-bodied. He's strong. But he's going to turn over a lot. He might be the perfect recipe for getting this next Dustin Martin. Everyone's talking about this number one draft pick. So who knows, but I'm certainly warmer on Warple uh, now. And it also helps he got that decent score built into his price point. So even if he does drop back and start getting a couple of 70s, you're still going to make a little bit of cash while while the dust settles early season.
0: Yeah, perfect. And the last midfielder I sort of want to touch on in around this price bracket is Callaghan. So what were your thoughts on Finn?
1: Yeah, so Finn I didn't have in my super coach. Uh, largely because those uncontested possessions of wingmen, you get even less points than you do in fantasy. Come fantasy land, similar boat, where you look at the wingmen in the AFL and they just don't score well. You then look at the wingmen for Richmond, being a Caden McIntosh and a a Pickett. Like, I think Pickett played a great game on... Thursday night, I even messaged my mate saying, gee, that Pickett's a good player. I looked at him today because I wanted to find out where Short was playing and I kept scrolling and thinking, oh, where's Pickett? I think Pickett scored 32 points but played his role. So whether that uh, – Kingsley – got subbed out, I think. Oh, he got subbed out. I think oh, he got, think subbed, he got out. subbed out pretty okay. early. Yeah. Well, that, makes, that makes a lot of sense, shows how well I was watching the game. Um, anyway, he doesn't score that well for Wingman. And I thought, well, Kingsley knew he's coming in as he got the same sort of – thought process between these wingmen where they did say Finn's going to play wing. We've seen wingmen in the past score really well in the preseason. So yes, he scored well, but it's like, okay, well, that's because it's uncontested footy. What's going to be like round one. So for me, I probably wouldn't have started him unless I somehow had surplus cash to put on instead of a rookie. But as I said, I, I was pretty happy with McKenzie and Ashcroft on field. So I probably wouldn't have gone in with Finn. Whereas looking at it now, knowing there's no Kelly, Kelly, for potentially two weeks, there's no Perryman. It's another game under his belt. So Finn Callahan played in that intra-club when they didn't play the first practice match. He only played a half. He then played low game time, the, the official practice match. He's now had a full game under his belt. I now have a lot more confidence in him running out a game and, and doing what he needs to do. So I'm now uh, on board with, with the Finn Callahan as well, which... Uh, it, which when you go back to retrospective, what would you do if you started your season again? Structure-wise, you probably could have fitted them all those names you mentioned in there. And, and looking really good, but as we all know, we we did that in 2021 with that six or seven mid-prices and none of them popped. And then you get you're too busy trying to worry about them early season. You then miss out on the good rookies who are debuting. You then miss out on these competition winners who are a bit more highly priced. You're stuck with certain players for a lot longer and it can really derail your season. So there's a reason why you don't go out and pick them all come round one but by picking a few it means you can do this little jump if you if you like someone a bit more than the other or whether it's a premium down to one now you know one's passed the test like say Warple did pass the test to get an extra rookie off your field to get one rookie back up to another one of them.
0: Yeah that's exactly right and if you do have injuries like some of us coaches do then you do get stuck with these these mid prices and Finn was definitely good. I know he junked late. I think he had a thirty-seven point last quarter, and you know, was that a a victim of circumstance with those mids going down, which allowed him to get a little bit more ball on the outside? I'm not too sure. Would you consider trading into him now, or do you kind of just have to let him go?
1: I think you can trade into him. You've got that low break even now. Um, I'm tr- it's hard. Sorry, I keep talking about this different game, but it's good that I play it, so I get a bit of a feel for what I would do. But I'm trading into him. In Super Coach land, largely because I need to get that cash to get Cherry up to a decent ruck, Uh, hence why I'm doing that. Like I'd rather go someone I'd be more confident holding for six, seven, eight weeks, which would be a Warple or a a Setterfield or even a Sheed than than that. But he could realistically, if he starts getting some centre bounces with no Perryman, who did see some time in there before he did his hamstring. So there's a chance he gets 40% the next two weeks Maybe three weeks and I think there's no question out of all these names we mentioned that he's the one who's gonna be the star of the competition in the next five years. If you got a chance to jump on one of them in their second season and, and he gets that opportunity inside, he could end up being a really, really good scorer. So uh I, I would I would jump into him if you need to find that extra cash to do another move elsewhere, but
0: yeah. Yeah, so that's probably a good segue into the next sort of issues because you mentioned you've got him in Supercoach. So Tristan Cherry, those unlucky owners that took the pun on him, like you said, he was looking absolutely fantastic, high points per minute, a soft matchup against the West Coast and then goes down with that ankle. If you have, say, a Stuart and a Kelly, are you pretty keen on having one go down so you can get Cherry all the way up to English?
1: It's tough with a Stuart one because... We say go down. We're struggling at the best of times with those lower end defenders, hence why we we have them at the be, at, at the moment because there wasn't many decent, safe, mid price ish defenders. But for me, looking at it, I think English pre season like he, he ticked the boxes to be the clear number one rock, being that there's they've got the tool forward in there, they've got Lobb, even though Lob's missing this week, but they already look 2-2, I doubt they're going to play sweet, so he's going to play the solo ruck, he was had an interrupted back half of last year, but the first half, the year, he looked like he's going to break out, and you look over the years, these best fancy ruckmen can sometimes score 15-20 points more than the next best, whether it was Cox in his day, or Grundy, Gorn, back in the set-and-forget days, and people were gun-shy, and I would have been gun-shy, or was gun-shy in Supercoach, starting with English because of that early matchup. So those coaches who did start with a wits, which proved to be a great call, or a Sean Darcy who scored fine, but there's still a few nervousness each week going into that, particularly with how bad Jackson was and how bad Freer were, are they going to change much up? If you can get up to English, you then know that, well, there's a lot of good coaches up there, highly ranked coaches, who probably won't get English for the next 10 weeks because if they've got a Wits and a Marshall, that's going to be one of their least priorities to move on. So if you can land English and in a world that he does put on 15 points more than the next best, then that could be a good differentiator rather than just going up that cheaper one, saving the cash of of a Darcy or a Uh, Wits and then it's like, oh, well, I might as well have done that last week and I've just locked in the loss of 60 points or 70 points or whatever the difference was between Sherry and them.
0: Okay, so say it's obviously not a perfect world and say you can't find the cash to get all the way up to English. Who would you be more comfortable with going to out of, say, Darcy and Wits as those more cheaper value guys?
1: It's funny. I try to always be very... Back in your judgment, back in your pre season, and all pre-season, I had Darcy ranked over wits. But I think it's probably the solo the solo wits, despite his easy matchup. And if we're getting blinded by that, it's not like it's out of the blue. He's put up nineties in the past. He's put up I think he was the highest scoring ruck in the last five games of twenty twenty, was it? Or maybe twenty nineteen. So he can do it. He's fit, he's tall. That dewy conditions of the of the Gold Coast with happened first half of last year as well when there's heaps of stoppages. I'm leaning towards a wits over a Darcy at the moment, but maybe that's my naive Docker mind, which I've I've lost confidence in most of these freer players.
0: Yeah, wits yeah. I always had him pegged as that sort of mid nineties guy with not too much value and um, I didn't think he was gonna get close enough to say an English or even a Gorn in hindsight and you know you're not getting too much value but you do have the, the safety of the solo ruck but you know I could not see him he had 25 possessions on the weekend it wasn't just hit outs he was he was everywhere so I've definitely come around to wits and, and those people that took the punt on starting him that was an absolute uh, fantastic pick. It'll be interesting to see how he goes against Essendon this week because although Sam Draper and Phillips aren't great ruckmen, they seem to be quite restrictive. So it'll be interesting to see if between the two of them, they follow him around the ground for most of the day and they limit those disposals. Yeah. and just Sean Darcy. I just on that
1: before. Just when we talk um, round one ranks and we say it every year, I'll put it up, where you were ranked the year you came second, I was 20-odd thousandth the year I won in 2017. Uh, Matty Mottram last year was 17, and a lot of it is because we get this round one where players pop. Last year it was a a uh, Lapinsky's 117 or whatever he got. Matty Rao, all these players, we think oh we have to get them. We got them the next week, and then just they just return to normal. And those who didn't kept their structure and kept who they backed in their full preseason then got the advantage on those other ones. So uh, there's. You try to not get sucked into those round one scores, but yeah, which was impressive.
0: Yeah, we I do just want to sort of deep dive on Darcy a little bit more. I do have Darcy. I'm a Darcy owner, and I was actually quite impressed by what he did on the weekend. He he seemed like he was back to his sort of aggressive best around the con around the contest. He really bullied Rowan Marshall. Um, he was very dominant in the hitouts and. He was probably a little bit unlucky around the ground as well. He worked pretty hard to get into space, but with the way Freo were just chipping that ball around the back line and then just putting it on his head, every time he was going for a mark, he was pretty much going up against five or six players in a contested situation. So hopefully that won't happen every week and Freo can you know have a bit better ball movement and, and get it to him a little bit quicker. But you know, if you had to put uh, a number to it at the moment, can you see Darcy going sort of somewhere between 95 and 100 and being a decent stopgap?
1: Yeah, and I think if there's no such thing as Luke Jackson waiting in the wings, you'd potentially say more than that. He, it's uh, He's younger than Tim English, which always shocks me every time I, I see that, but he's never had a full pre-season. He's always interrupted the practice matches, round one, round two, then he gets going, whereas this pre-season was widely documented. His tassel, particularly over in WA, the the tussle he was having with Jackson—they were really competitive. They were getting the best out of each other. You saw vision of of Darcy doing stuff like taking two bounces down the wing and kicking a goal from fifty. Like he's, I think he's learned a little bit from Jackson and vice versa. So he's certainly rock hard fit, and you're right—he spread really well. Took some good marks like around that center forward, like that dangerous region where not one, no one else from Freer were marking around there. It's just that my only concern is that. Jackson, like this big asset, million dollars a year, whatever he's getting, like they're going to have to inject him into it at some point, and I don't think it's a, a deep forward. So whether it's a bit more of this inside mid, which he did do a little bit on the weekend, but, yeah, we all were trying to predict Darcy's centre bounces, particularly because it was hard with Jackson not playing the first game. And I think he – or the practice match that is, when Darcy had 88%, but he went and had 85% in the real stuff. So – whether that stays, I always thought he's going to be more the 75, which is still going to be enough for him to be a 95, which is still a fine pick. But if he can keep this 85%, then he definitely can be 100%. And, yeah, at that lower price point, still priced a bit less than 100, a bit less than 90, sorry, uh, he'll prove a great pick.
0: Yep, perfect. All right, let's move on to defence. bit selfish from me because I am a Tom Stewart owner, so I'm – tussling on whether I go up or down from here uh not too far down obviously but so in terms of um going up uh so we've got a Sicily what were your thoughts on Sicily on the weekend obviously had that monster score um, won't come up against Essendon every week but how did you see his game didn't watch
1: much of this game I've got to say um I think we're speaking just before like I I try to make a point last year to watch every game and every part of every game particularly because I've I've got paying members asking my opinion on players. I kind of feel like I should be watching them, but this year I'm trying to not get as consumed in it. Uh, like I feel, especially with where I'm at in my life, with second kid on the way and stuff, I don't want to get in the habit of feeling like I have to watch all of these games. I do try to watch at least a quarter of them, and I watch just flashes of it, and every time I did see it, was Sisley was on the screen. He did what you kind of want, what a dockerty essentially does, which is just... Wraps around for those ones at the back, and then free for the marks. The concern is his kick-ins were low. I know they were high last year, ten percent. They are going to share the load, but he's a leader back there. The ball's going to be there back there a lot. Can he bump himself up to that one ten and be around those the D couple? I think I earmarked him at the start of the year not even to be a top six defender. So I'm probably going to stick with that and believe he's going to do a few more matchups that he. Did I, what did I have him at in D7 at the start of the season? Poor. It's a tough one. If, if if things were played on his terms, there's no question he could be outscoring Doherty. It's just I think with Sam Mitchell, with development, with giving opportunity to other players, with him being a very good defender and quite often taking a dangerous forward, there there are risks with the Sicily, but you've got to take risks in this game to hope for that upside to to try to get the differentiator. That probably didn't answer your question. Uh, But for me, I wouldn't. I don't think I I could have it this this week. I'd be more around that point, which I was looking at in the pre-season, which is a a Dacos or a Young.
0: Yeah, so that was going to be my next question. It's pretty much sideways now. I think it's going to cost me maybe 10K to go up from Stewart to Dacos and 20K to go up to Young, which hurts a little bit off off that injury. But um, obviously, Dacos, very, very impressive on the weekend. I just... I just don't think clubs are going to let him have 35 possessions every week. I think you know, first first game of the year that Friday night, Collingwood so convincingly beat the reigning premiers in the end, and and Dacos was a massive part of that. Coming up against Port this week, um, I think you know, surely they're going to put some time into him, and then they have some tough matchups coming in. I think Dacos is someone that we're going to need at some stage in the season. But would you be going him this week, knowing that he's got that tough matchup?
1: It's a tricky one because. It's funny the way the fantasy game works. We all got put off when he got tagged by Finn McGuinness in the preseason. Now we're all attracted by that big score, but see, it should have been opposite uh, and started him at that price point. It's funny. See, so He had the 35 and only the – not only, but 114 fantasy. So it makes you think, well, what's going to happen if he does get 25, which is still a pretty good game as that half back. He, he runs so hard and demands so much the ball. There's a bit of commentary on – on socials about him being not effective and cheap possessions and whatnot. But for the way they play and when you watch them with their chains, they normally start off pretty slow, whether it's a a Darcy Moore back there and they do a couple of little chips. Then once they try to get the ball in his hand, he's the one who pulls that trigger to then go inside. And then they just play their classic Collingwood run and gun. Like he's so integral for what they try to do and set up. So you think that he would be the one you'd sit on and, the fact that Hawthorne likely Wooden Spooners pressed a potential or last year's one goal outside of grand final team, albeit in the pre-season, but by tagging Dacos, you'd think the blueprint would have been there then. Uh, I know Chris Scott can get a bit stubborn, but it's easy for us to say stubborn. He, he won the flag last year and showed he was the, the best coach in the game. So you'd think teams would tag him, but let's just say not everyone tags. So what, there's 20... He's got 21 games to go in the season. No, 22 with the extra game this year. He might get tagged six, seven times to a a 70. He still runs so hard. Geelong didn't really kick many points, so he's going to get more easy possessions there if he takes the kick-ins. And then when he gets off the leash, the way he was demanding that ball and running around, it's hard to see him, if he doesn't get tagged, not getting 35 possessions. So what would that all spit out with if he gets... If he gets himself fifteen games of one ten and and seven games of the of the seventy, he's still probably going to be a top six, and he's priced below that top six now. So I, I still think it'd be an okay get. But you're right; all eyes was on was on that game, the Friday night. Kenny Hinkley has already said that he's going to look to put some time into him. That. It's a nervous pick. So you go know, that nervous pick, and I know the next question is going to be about Hayden Young, who's not never going to get the tag, or at least in the next couple of weeks. But his game's more about system. The Dockers have to shake something up. They can't be doing what they did round one. But realistically, if, if they do want the ball in one of their hands, it's not Cox. I know Ryan's a very good kick. They probably still want the ball in Hayden Young's hands to so do a bit more of a day cost in the middle kick, so... I can't see him losing out a heap, even if they do speed things up a little bit. So, Young's the safer play, no question about that. Particularly me, who I like to sleep easy with my fantasy team, not scared of tags. It's Young over Daykos, but if you're risk, if you like your risk, if you want to go for that, for that big one, it's Daykos, But me personally, right now, it's Hayden Young.
0: Yeah, yeah, he's definitely one of the ones I'm considering from Stewart as well. Obviously, not having to pay too much there, and that that fits that that model of trying to hunt value and trying to trying to pick these players that are the top six that are coming in underpriced. The one thing that kind of worries me is that's something I looked to do last year and the obvious picks were the Dohertys, the Dawsons and the Sinclairs that were just so far and away the best defenders and they just kept putting up 15 points a week for fun on on everyone else. So that is in the back of my mind with a, a Sicily type that if the, if it is his year and the ball is just living in that Hawthorne D50, then maybe he can go 100, 105 in that role and, and he's you know putting up 10 points a week more than a Hayden Young, but Young is someone I'm definitely considering. I do worry though, so just for a bit of uh, perspective, Frio put up a team total of 1,800 fantasy points last year and that was 220 points up from their average last year and they already had a pretty high average as, the, as it was, and we know that they got beaten pretty badly by a St Kilda side that was missing eight of their best 22 players. So clearly something's going to have to change there, but I think you're right. Young is just so integral to that system, and he's probably the safer pick there while I try and figure out what the hell to do with everything else in my team. Thinking about going down a little bit more, not too far, what did you think of Ed Richards on the weekend?
1: He was great. Ed Richards for a team... Where they all looked out of sorts. Like no one, even English, who scored well, didn't look like he had a heap of energy. Bont was kind of floating a little bit, particularly in the second half. McRae kind of has done what McRae's done in the last couple of years, which just looked pretty slow and uninspiring. The one who actually did look like he was full of beans was Ed Richards, who I think was on the radar when it sounded like Caleb Danny was going to move inside and it meant he could be the number two to Bailey Dale. But when Daniel's now still playing back line, as I believe he played back line on the weekend, it is it is risky having someone who could still be that third. Like Bailey Dale had that quiet game. I don't think you're going know, to get that from Dale all along. But no, he, he impressed me. He went up in my opinion of him as a player and potentially up as a, as a fancy player, particularly with this matchup now, which Freo had on the weekend against the Saints. So there might be some easy ball there. A- again, as we say, we he could be the knockout pick if he ends up continuing to do what he does and, and presses these top six. It's that balance, and, and me and you are the same. We like finding that value, but for someone who you know can be a top six. So like last year, yes, they were mid-prices, but Sicily, Hewitt, Will Brody, they all end up being in your team all year. So there's definitely that and then hunting the value who is someone who you're still losing out points in. And I think that if yeah, Cicely's the real deal, if Nick Dacos doesn't get the tag and if Hayden Young continues his trajectory, then they could all be up there in the top six and they're going to outperform what they're at and there's a lot more safer play with those than the Ed Richards type.
0: Yeah, and yeah, Ed Richards has that fantastic matchup against St Kilda this week, but then he has a pretty tough run coming up after that, I believe. I, I don't have it off the top of my head, but um, knowing I've been researching it pretty hard, it he's got a real tough matchup after that. So as that third defender, I think you're right. Um, he's going to have good games, but he's probably going to have some floor games as well, which means he's not going to put up numbers in the top six. The other one, Will Day, who I wasn't as big on, um, comes out with a 98 on the weekend. Looked pretty good, um, but was purely outside. I know he got 26% CBAs, but majority of, of his touches from what I saw were getting some pretty cheap ball on the outside. I know we're, we're playing fantasy here, but from Coach point of view, he had a 68, which shows that he was getting a lot of cheap ball on the outside. So... What are your thoughts on Will Day? Is it sustainable scoring from only 26% CBAs, knowing that you know Ward should increase, and with the the chance of experimentation in that Hawks midfield?
1: I've heard you say this before, so we keep apologising, talking Super Coach, but I've heard you say that you look at the Super Coach score as well, to, just to get a better idea of their impact and how important they were to the team. Of the obvious one was Constable on the weekend, where he, I think he, at one point he was on like 48 fantasy and. Twelve super coach because of all his clangers and turnovers and Will Day the same thing, it's it summed up, he's not one he's going to butcher it, it's more just he had that outside possession and, and uncontested touches uh, there's enough noise coming out of Hawthorne that a bit like the Warper one where I thought it was all experimenting to start the season from start of the pre-season when they said he's going to play midfield, we thought oh, well that's obviously going to be wing, then they said no, nah, he's going to play inside mid and Pre-season first practice match, fifty percent centre bounces. Second practice match, fifty percent centre bounces. So I was like, okay, well, this is real now. We've got the prac the intra club they played before. Then he was inside bid, so that role's probably going to be there. I was surprised to see that he only had twenty six. As I mentioned, this is the he's the player I want to actually see a bit of. So I want, I'll probably will go back and watch a bit of that game to see how he looked to the eye. Because to the eye in the pre-season, we didn't score great. I thought he did look pretty. Pretty good in there. Looked awkward position and size and physique for an inside mid, but he did a few pretty nice things. So I was actually shocked to see the 26% centre bounces, but you can't complain about that score. And now that's built into his next five price rises. So he's at least going to make you a little bit of cash while things settle. And that back line, he's not going to get dropped. Like that back line I mentioned at the start, that there's every chance we won't see a Cowan, we won't see a... Constable in the next couple of weeks if Powell and and Weller come back, you might not see a Chesser. But at least here you are saving money and you've got, got someone who's not going to get dropped and be given every opportunity. But yeah, hard to comment on him without watching him to the eye.
0: Yeah, and the one thing that does worry me a little bit is they come up against Sydney this week at the SCG. So um, there's not going to be as, as much outside ball on a smaller ground anyway. But I doubt um, Sydney are just going to let The Hawthorne players do what they want they run a pretty tight defensive system so if you didn't start him and you trade into him this week you might just have to wear a a sub pass score this week but knowing that he's still got some potential down the line all right Selbs, I've had you for about 45 minutes so I appreciate it We'll, we'll just do some of these questions from the discord so we'll go for about 15 minutes and then then we'll wrap up uh this question here I'm kind of interested in as well depending on how much carnage we get but Is there a world where you might have to hold a Kelly in order to get, you know, the must-have rooks or if you've got other issues that you need to fix up? I've
1: always been one to trade the premiums, even injured premiums, even in upgrade season. So, during upgrade season, which say it's round four to round 14... There's a world where you can hold your premium because if you make an upgrade with the other trades, then when they return from the injury, you've got one extra premium than you would if you just sideways traded. Whereas right now, if you hold your premium, you're going to have one less premium this week and then the next week they might return, but you're not going to get that extra premium. You're just going to lose those initial points. But so if you've got all your rookies sorted... Because that's obviously what you want to do with these early early trades. We go through that with the trade insights about the past winners, what they have been doing in these early rounds. And a yeah, key one is making sure you get those rookies. See, if you miss the Sheezer, which I know people did, and you probably do feel silly if you did miss him, but realistically it was a small forward playing for one of the bottom teams. You could think that he wasn't going to score well as well. Just that teasing of halfback flank Roy played in a couple of games of the preseason, which got you over the, got me me over the line at least, because I've experimented not having him in there. And then he spent full time there and looked they cost two So if you missed him, you have to get him. And if it means holding Kelly to do that, definitely. Uh it inter- <laughs> Chandler, like I think he's good enough to hold. Like Jeppa was very bullish on him. I haven't seen enough of him, but he did look good on the weekend, but everyone in Melbourne did look good. They're losing Pickett for a bit. They're getting a few back, but it's hard to see him not staying in that team. And with that big score in his rolling average, he's going to make the cash. So if named, you're probably going to have to say he's a must-have. Jinby, I know everyone has got, so no point even speaking about him. But yeah, there is there is a world where you can hold those injured if you missed any of those rookies, and that's the way to get them. Or is it a matter of, Getting a rookie and then still moving one of those injured players. I know you've got two, so say you've got Kelly and Stewart.
0: Yeah, yeah, I've got Chandler. Lucky, one of the good things I did.
1: Well, what if you didn't have Chandler then? What would you do? Uh,
0: Well, knowing that, it's an interesting one, right, because they've got four players coming back this week. I think from the sounds of it, Salem might come back through the twos. Um, and it's probably a blessing in disguise really that Cozy Pickett's gone out for two weeks. So that probably gives um, Chandler a guaranteed another two weeks and it's his spot to lose and if you don't go him and he makes 100, 150K very quickly in the next three weeks, then you are definitely behind the competition. So if I didn't have Chandler and I still had those two injuries, I probably would err on um, holding Kelly and getting Chandler and fixing Stewart, I think, it's more important that you get Chandler and Kelly. Look to be absolutely unbelievable. He's he's probably going to go close to being a top eight um, mid. And if you do hold him, then you're right. You are keeping that premium, and then he's going to be pretty unique for you um, for the rest of the season. Do you agree with that?
1: Yeah, I do. You're right. Unique. He's going to be one fifteen, and with this rolling lockout, like whether you've got a Hollands there, like you have two looks at that. M8 position with a loophole. So if you can get yourself a 70, then you cop that because what, say you traded him for a premium and might've got a hundred, you lose, you might gain 30 points, but you're giving up that potential to make that hundred K. So the rookies are the more important thing at the moment. So you're right. You'd be, uh, you got that long side of of generating that cash rather than those early points. We always talked and that's why we're both marveled by the, marvels last year, Mottrams, that he managed to hit the front so early. Like myself and you typically hit the lead during the buys or post-buys and that's when we start peaking. We're still around those 5,000, 2,000, 1,000 mark in round five, six and seven. So I like to play the long game and extra round this year as well. Probably means points on field's worth a little bit less and, and cash generation's worth more.
0: Yeah, and you've actually just um, refreshed my memory of something I wanted to ask you. So one of the awkward things this week, especially for steward owners, is that they play the Thursday night. So you don't really have a chance to to have a look at um, of how your rookies are gonna go to see whether you can potentially hold him or not. But I spoke to Warnie today and, and they mentioned this in the preseason, but it's gone kind of quiet. But apparently this is the case. So in Supercoach, they've got the alter trade button, right? So hypothetically I could trade Stewart to say someone who's playing on a Sunday um, or a Saturday night, say a, a Young, and that's not locked, right? So Stewart, the Stewart side's locked, but I can still then alter that trade Young down to anyone I want or up if I've got the cash in the bank. That's how it works in Supercoach, right?
1: Yep, yeah, yeah, and obviously I'm am a I'm a fantasy man at heart. There's no question and there's a lot about the platform which I prefer and the rules and the rewarding the early mover of – pricing changes and stuff. Like in Supercoach, I didn't start Chandler, but I know I can get him next week for the same price, making sure he's playing that third game to go up. So there's a lot of things I like. But in, in Supercoach they've got some really good features. And one of them is that that you can trade who you're trading out and you're trading in at any stage until they play. So you could trade out, yeah, Stuart for whoever it is, Dacos, and then say you get a good score it's tough on Thursday night, sorry. But say if you hadn't got a good score from your from your bench player, you could have then swapped that and done another trade. But I, I believe that in fantasy you can do that as well. Warnie did tweet saying that, that you could edit your trade. So you're right, it has been – they have gone quiet on that, uh, whether that's still working or not. But it does make it tricky for you. Steward owners you are going to have to pull the trigger uh, before even knowing final teams on the, the weekend games.
0: Yeah, so you can't you can't just turn it around and not trade Stewart anymore. So the Stewart part's locked, but you can go to any other player as long as it fits in your salary cap, right? Yeah, perfect. So that's something that at least Stewart owners can um, you know try and use to their advantage. Hopefully the, the AFL fantasy platform has it all up and running, and maybe it's going to take a brave coach to trust that the platform works the way it should in round two. But I think that's probably the way to play it. Is um, yeah, lock that one trade in. Um, knowing that you can potentially um, alter that later on down the track if you need to. So that's something to, to think of there. Sticking with the defense, so I know a lot of us got stung on the weekend um, playing a rookie at D6. So um, Cowan, Chessa, even Wilmot to a certain point of view all didn't really perform. Are coaches really needing to try and scramble to get a mid-price player there so that they're not getting one of those scores at D6? Or is there anyone that you would actually be quite comfortable with sitting at D6 in the short term?
1: Not really, and I had this issue, and that's why I went the cherry, so I didn't have to play one of these mid-priced defenders once Yo went down, and I even threw a few names at you, and you laughed, which I think answered the question for me when I was looking for replacements. A lot of teams are in the same boat. Uh, I am big on trying to limit my rookies on field. When I say rookies, are genuine first-year players, so... Wilmot potentially a bit better because he's, he has played those games in the finals, but his scoring is a little bit capped. Um, chess, I'm not sure. you might get your hand forced for for you. I, I doubt we're going to get all of them named. And if it means that you can play a bit of a loop and have a look at Cowan if he is named uh, or have a look at Wilmot who plays the next na- next game, then that's definitely the way to play it because we say rookie roulette, that's, it's, it's in the back line this year that they're all very low and you could certainly get an edge. In my yeah, in my super coach, it's a bit easier because you've got your uh, Connor McKenna essentially at rookie price where I didn't have to play any uh, first-year players. I think my D6 – who was my D6? My D6 was Constable. So it was a, it's easy for me to say, I'll oh, get that rookie off the field in defence. You'll make your team better. But you're looking fancy. Who are you looking at? What are those names? Hunter Clark didn't show anything. Uh, what's his name? Ben Long didn't show anything. It's hard that price point. There's there's no one really there. If Yo comes back this week, that's a question mark. Like, do you jump on that? Knowing what we know about calves and how they they're so reoccurring? Think about Harley Burnell back in the day, uh, Xavier Ellis himself. But maybe he he was the, for me he was the first picked three weeks ago. So if he is named. Maybe that's the that's the answer.
0: Yeah. So you you um, I know you've you you've been pretty close with the Yo's over the years, being Eastern Mandelboy boy as well. Is he someone that you would rule out, knowing what you know about his body, or you know, for someone like me that is coming from a long way back, you know, really doesn't have anything to lose other than to have a go? Is it a play to have a crack at Yo when he comes back in? He'll definitely be unique.
1: Yeah, I think the last person you mentioned that about was Aaron Hall in round 16 or whatever last year and it's hard like it's like fool me once but on the flip side you do have to find discounts somewhere and risk somewhere to differentiate and whether that was Cicely on the back of his ACL last year having a crack at him or was it having a crack at Matt Crouch on the back of this OP 30% discount and he backfired so you're not going to get them all right but if you are on the right one that's a ticket to success and I think we've all we're all aware how hard this game is at the moment. It's been harder than ever. You always say top thousand. It's harder ever to, to get even top ten thousand, and you'll see it this year, particularly with teams more and more similar. That you could take the punt. That might mean you finish 15, 20,000th, But if it pays off, you could be that one step ahead. Because if Yohei does play, scores a hundred, just watch everyone jump to him the week after. Then you can then find the next one and the next one. But as I said, you're, there's risks attached, and this is coming from the man who who advocated the cherry move at R two, and uh, they're all scrambling with me this week.
0: Yeah, yeah, you definitely have to take a risk when you are sitting back. There's no point playing safe and and finishing twenty k. You may as well take a take a punt and, and try and rise. So. To be honest, mate, with how I'm looking at the moment, if, if yo, I don't think he'll get up this week, but if he comes back for the derby in round three and I'm still trying to fix up my D3 or I need to find a little bit of cash to fix that, I think he would be someone that I'll look at. Might be a little bit crazy, but who knows, might just help propel me back up. If you, So if someone like me went a weak back line, so they've got Constable at D3, would you advocate trading a Sheed to a wheel Day with a bit of DPP to, to strengthen the, the back line a little bit?
1: Yes, because I was advocating a weak back line. I think I was even a Yo D2, and then when he was out, it's like, well, what do you do there? Um, we, I think we just hope the constable... So it sounds like we're going to get the return of Power and Weller this week. I think you just pray and wait till round six where we'll be able to at least get Sheasel back there. You can start making some upgrades by then. Yo's playing, you can get him in there. And we can slowly strengthen that background backline one more so for job security before even scoring. Sheed to Will Day. I think you'll see. I think if you ask me that, she I think she's going to outscore Will Day from now to the end of the year. Um, so, unless it helps you sleep better at night with a stronger defence, I I think these mid prices you can give them at, another look. But my issue is, I I give them. Potentially too much of a look, and I know that you made your big move jumping off of Will Phillips, not Will Phillips, Tom Phillips early before anyone else. You jumped off of Matt Rao. Even Matt Mottram jumped off of Matt Row last year before anyone else. So if you have identified something in Sheed, knowing that a big chunk of coaches have him, then it could pay in your favour. But I'm still thinking Sheed will get better with the run.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, I couldn't agree more there. Um would you consider going Sheed down to Callahan for a bit of cash if it meant that you could get Fergus Green up to Chandler that you've missed? Yeah, I think so.
1: Uh, definitely. We mentioned the importance of that cash, Jen. Uh, if it weren't for a Perryman and a Kelly out, I'd probably say no because there's a chance that a, wing fin, a wingman Finn could score a 50 and you'd... Losing points, you are down that cash growth, but I think we're going to see some inside Finn and he could be a decent pick.
0: Yep. All right. Last one, just because I, I just want you to help this bloke out because he has had a shocking run. So he has Stuart, Cherry and Kelly to fix. So what would you be looking to do, looking to do here? I know you said that um, going down from... Uh, Stuart's not really an option, so he's got to find cash somewhere. So what are you looking to do here if you can?
1: Yeah, okay. So I think you've got to hold Kelly in that instance and hopefully get a look at one of those rooks. The ones you're trading are Kelly and Stuart. That's the obvious one. And then just do those maths in your head. So who who can you get down to? So say if it is an Ed Richards, what cash, how much does that make you? And what? Yeah, you're not going to
0: be you're not going to be able to trade Kelly and Stewart though. If you've got Cherry at R two, you're going to have to fix that R two because you won't have anyone to play there. So you've got to pick two out of the three. Yeah, sorry, I I meant you
1: you hold Kelly, you trade Cherry and Stewart. So say you you traded Stewart to an Ed. What can that get you up to? I know that Lys was appealing at the start of the season, and he had that the knock on him was that poor matchup round one. That's now out of the way. Versus Oscar, do you give him a look, knowing he's unique, and he was pretty popular in the preseason? Oh, I don't love it. As I said, I'd love to go up. Oh, I don't know what I'd do if I was that poor coach. To be honest with you, I don't know what I'd do. I um,
0: I don't know what I'd do. What would you do, Holmesy? Well, yeah, you're going to make about 150k going from Stuart down to Ed Richards um and then you're going to need 150k is going to get you just over 700k which you know it's going to get you a life set um might get you a darcy cameron um you know you could look at Laddams, i suppose but yeah it's interesting it, it's how much money he's got in the bank do you go even further down to wheel day that might get you enough cash to get up to a darcy maybe that's where i'd look i'd probably look to hold kelly knowing that you've got a top eight mid sitting there to come back onto your field and you just pray that it's just a one-week concussion and not two. I think that 12-day protocol is right on the edge of their second game, so that could be a disaster if, if he misses two. But, yeah, I think you're probably going to have to eat your poison there and, and go stew it down to Will Day and get Cherry up to a Darcy. I'm not sure I'd have the, the balls to, to go a Laddams or a Lysette. I think you're just asking for trouble again and that's when we burn all those trades in the ruck.
1: Yeah, no, you're right. Day and stay in a top one. I don't mind Cameron. As I said we liked him in the preseason. We were concerned it's going to be a 50-50 split which it was in the preseason, but he he seemed to take over that game and his we all they all talked about Pendle's decoy and Tom Mitchell's clearance work, but a lot of it was the tap work of Darcy Cameron. So he impressed me, but yeah, get the safe one who you think could you happy to hold all season which would be a DAS, if you can, uh, and Will Day, you're riding that cash r- rise. And as you mentioned before, Kelly's going to be unique in two weeks, and
0: there's no reason why you can't do
1: 110.
0: Yeah, beautiful. All right, Selbs, mate, thank you for jumping on. I really appreciate you giving us your time. I know you're, you're very busy with everything you do. If you could just let everyone know um, where they can find your Marrera's Magic platform and maybe just a little bit more of what they can expect for the rest of the year.
1: Yep, so it's Marrera's Magic. Com.au, M-O-R-E-I-R-A, magic.com.au. So the way the membership works, you can either join weekly for $2.95 a week for the fantasy, uh, join or can see you can give it a crack for a week and then jump off. But essentially we have a round review podcast on the Monday or Tuesday morning, we'll do a... Trade insights, email, article every Thursday morning, a quick fire QA on the Friday morning podcast, and then there's some stats, some tools, a buy planner, price project, and a few things there. So there's a, a fair bit which goes into it, or you can, yeah, pay up front. I think it ends up being a bit less than two fifty a week for the for the season, ten bucks a month. So uh jump on board if you want. But as I said, I, when I first started there was a real um, there was a real want for that. In-depth analysis. Now there's so much great analysis out there that by no means feel pressure to jump in, but we have a bit of fun. We try to keep it lighthearted because obviously fans, it. we always say like the weekend just gone, we, we want to keep it as entertaining as possible. Well, that's where Zave comes in. And if you feel bad about your team, it's worth paying the $2.95 just to hear that he started his season with a uh, Lockie Ash, a – who else did he chuck in there? We had a cherry. Did he up. go Baker in the end? Baker, the yeah. candlestick maker. Candlestick baker was in there. It's a shocker. The man who sits next to me. It's now been three years. We have sit there and show you the fat. Then he's talking about trades. He's like, "Oh, what about Adam Trelaw?" It's like, mate?
0: Still probably outscored me this week. I think I haven't listened yet, but I'm, I'm sure he did. So,
1: oh, because Eddie. Long story, but he had cherry emergency. Oh, yeah. He had cherry. And I called him up after the first 10 minutes and said, mate, you've seen this bloke. Like he's, he's monstering you. We're on one here." And he goes, mate, you won't believe it. I had Taranto vice captain as loophole, moved Cherry to the bench and forgot to put the emergency on him. So he had, so he was like spewed. Then I called him up five minutes later when Cherry's out injured. I said, mate. He's gone. He's he got, and he's there cheering, saying, "Now I'm not going to be an idiot, missing out this score." I said, "Mate, you're playing for twenty thousand. I'm over here doing my best trying to win Supercoach, and you're you're doing cartwheels because the man who you didn't have emergency on end up getting injured. So then it meant that he, because he was emergency, he could then trade his R two. So he traded him for uh, Flynn, who I think was on thirty five points halfway through the first and finished with fifty. So. No, I, I dare say he's he's in a worse boat than he You You no need to worry about uh,
0: Zave. Mate, that's that's really funny. I'm in a group chat with some of some of these other boys that are very serious players, and and they did the exact same thing. They had they had Cherry on the bench as their loophole, so they actually had the emergency on him. But yeah, once that's happened, they've they've gone to Flynn as well. So they'll be happy to know that they've done the exact same thing as Zave, and I'm sure they'll be very happy about that.
1: Yeah, not sure if it's a good thing or a bad thing to do the same as Zave, but no, he's great. To be honest with you, he's great for me. He t- teaches me a lot. He has a really good eye for footy. He comes in with a – we talk about looking at the super coach scores. He comes in like we're talking about Hayden Young or or Dacos saying what he thinks would happen on a footy level, and then you read into that what you will – what the implications that will have with fantasy. So we have a good little relationship going and and have some fun there. So, yeah, feel free to come check us out. But, uh, yeah, that's it.
0: Alright mate, uh, thanks for that and uh, good luck with the supercoach season. I'm sure I'm sure we'll see you um, up there at the pointy end. Cheers, homesy. Good luck too.